Astros snap their home losing streak, and Dusty finally gives the fans what they've been wanting, and it involved banana pudding. We'll talk about it next on episode 40 of Stone Cold Strohs, and it starts right now. Welcome to Stone Cold Shows. I'm Brandon Strange. I'm joined by Charlie Palillo and Josh Jordan. Follow them on X at Palillo and at Josh Jordan 975. And this week we launched our new Texans dedicated podcast and YouTube channel, Texans on Tap. Please go subscribe to that right after you finish consuming this content. Charlie, it's episode 40, just like your age. Wink. It's slim pickings, <laughs> but uh, which Astros or in this case, Colt 45's player who wore number 40, do you want to highlight this week? I have to go with the guy for whom number 40 uh, is retired. Pitcher Don Wilson, the only guy to, as an Astro, Colt 45 Astro, throw two no-hitters. Nolan Ryan threw seven, but only the record-breaking fifth one as an Astro. Uh, Don Wilson then dying tragically to this day. Some will question whether it was a suicide or something more nefarious. Uh, But Don Wilson, clearly the most notable number 40. But a quick footnote to that, a guy named Ken Johnson war number 40 for part of his time with the Colt 45s. Ken Johnson, the only pitcher to this day to throw a complete game, nine inning no hitter, and lose the game. Did that as a Colt 45 in 1964. Let's get that Don Wilson true crime doc on Netflix. So guys, let's get into it. Astros take care of business at home against the Padres. Put some distance between themselves and the Mariners. Two and a half games as we record this. This is the stretch we've been talking about coming up against the A's and against the Royals. You know, you've got Fromber and Verlander going into this series against the A's who played the, the Texas Rangers tough, although that may be less about the opponents than it is about just the, the Rangers spiraling down as the season goes. I think six and 16 over their last 22 games. Offense is clicking. Well, we actually got to see the death lineup, which includes Chaz, Diaz, and Brantley. No Maldi. What were your takeaways from this weekend? It's dangerous on election night to call the race too early. You know, certain precincts reporting, but until you have all of them, it's not election night. With one caveat, which I'll mention, the race is over. At absolute bare minimum, the Astros have secured a playoff spot, barring an absolute epic choke job. And when you have nine of your next 12 games, six of them against the Royals, three of them against the A's, it would be an epic choke job. It's not going to happen. Yeah, never say never. Ah, there are exceptions to, to every rule. But I'm talking about the American League West. For the sixth consecutive full season, it's now just about over. The caveat, unless the Astros go up to Seattle to start the final week of the season and get swept in three. Mariners have already won the season series, right? They've hammered the Astros head-to-head 8-2. to two. But the Astros start this week two ahead in the loss column, own the tiebreaker over the Rangers, lose it to the Mariners, while the Astros presumably are a team of garbage men this week, taking out the trash, I mean, anything under five out of six will be disappointing. Three with Oakland, three Kansas City. Uh, all right, the Angels packed it in. They're a mess. The Mariners have them for three. But then the Mariners have the Dodgers for three this weekend. All right, the Astros get the Orioles, ALCS championship preview perhaps, uh, starting next week. But then it's three more with the Royals before that trip to Seattle. And the kicker on this is the Rangers and Mariners still have seven games remaining head-to-head. 
So at an absolute minimum, either the Mariners or Rangers must lose at least four of those seven games. And if they go 4-3 in those seven, they're probably eliminating one another while the Astros are tacking on the wins. So it took them a long time to get sole possession of first place. But as the axiom goes, it's not where you start, it's where you end up. And the Astros have not quite a stranglehold on it. Uh, But if you're an Astros fan, I think a week ago I said, don't be printing up any division championship memorabilia just yet. Now feel free, unless they get swept at T-Mobile Park. Yeah, I'll be looking at, I was happy the bats came alive, especially at home. They're going to stay home for the A's. It's kind of interesting that, Outside of the Astros, the A's have the best record in the division out of the last 10 games. They've gone five and five, while the rest of the division's gone three and seven. So they're actually playing a little better baseball than the Mariners, Rangers, and Angels are right now. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. I, I love the fact that you got Verlander and Fromber going, uh, not in that order, uh, to start this series. So you got to like your chances there. And then Hunter Brown. Ugh. If he can't get a nice start against the A's, that's going to be a little bit little bit concerning. But I'm excited about the offense. All year we've talked about, oh, when is the offense going to pick it up? They've been kind of middle of the pack. They have finally gotten into the top five in OPS. We are seeing it. These big scores are, are starting to be pretty consistent. We're seeing the better lineup start showing up. So I'm encouraged. We've got to hear a couple weeks left. Uh, I, I like our chances. Uh, I'm a stat geek of pretty good order. But I don't quite have the chops or resources of the Elias Sports Bureau stat geeks. I don't know if they've done their work on this yet. But the Astros now, in their last 20 victories, going back to the first days of August, in their last 20 victories, the Astros have scored a minimum of six runs. 20 consecutive wins. Yeah, You think somewhere along the way you win a 3-2, a 4-3, a 2-1, a 1-0, a 5-0. 20 consecutive Astros wins where they've scored at least six And in only two of those 20, did they score only six? It's one heck of a jag, right? All pistons firing. They're as healthy as they can possibly be. Forget about peaking too early. Get to your peak and then maintain and minimize the stressing over the starting pitching after Fromber and and Verlander with a a mild pass to J.P. France. I mean, you said it. And four out of their last six scoring 12 runs, uh, and with Brantley back, you're getting production out of Dubon that you couldn't have expected last season. Chaz McCormick, you couldn't have dreamed his production this year. He's, he's having the best season ever. And, uh, you know, now everyone's talking about this team with Brantley back. Now you're looking at comparatively the 2019 team. Like, how does that how do they stack up? I heard uh, the guys from Talking Baseball uh, talking about how this lineup compares to the Braves. Jake said he thinks this is on par with the Braves offense. What do you guys say? Well, I mean, it's it's in the mix. And let's presume that both teams are fully healthy. Austin Riley's been out a couple games for the Braves. Uh, but if we were drafting offensive players this season, Ronald Acuna Jr. is better than any individual Astro. Uh, but the Astros now with their top to bottom depth, you mentioned the 19 team. Uh, I'll harken back to 2017 where you had Brian McCann, a quality offensive catcher, batting ninth 2019 you had Robinson Chirinos as the primary and then Maldonado joined the mix and Maldonado actually had six home runs in I think 27 games down the stretch in in 2019 so if the lower third of your order is Brantley McCormick Diaz if Dusty has the optimal team on the field uh, that's certainly a fair fight with the Braves 
and in a best of seven series, absolutely could get the better of the Braves, just as vice versa. If if you're going to roll out a lineup where you have McCormick and Diaz at eight and nine, I, I don't know how you hope for much better than that. I mean, that that's pretty impressive. I, I'd be terrified having to pitch to a lineup like that myself. But I don't know. I How often will we see that lineup? Uh, you know, not as often as we probably like. I would say we know Verlander. We know Fromberg going to pitch to Maldi. But with how bad Javier and Hunter Brown have been, I'm of the opinion, let Diaz catch those guys because you need every bit of offense you can get in those games. They've just been struggling to get through four or five innings, giving up four or five runs pretty much every time they go out there. So give yourself your best chance. Get that death lineup in there when those guys take the hill. Well, the quirky thing about this team is they are not a good home team, or at least haven't been traditionally this season. Uh, 2019 team was. This team just broke a six-game home losing streak on Saturday. but. One thing to keep in mind, if we are comparing that 2019 team, didn't win a single game in the World Series. I know it's still a sore spot, but we got to talk about it. Well, I don't think there's any sugarcoating this. The back end of the Astros starting rotation has been plain bad. Christian Javier, Hunter Brown, Jose Arquiti, who has been giving you long relief, uh, just not good. I know Dusty loves his vets and guys with experience and playoff experience. But there's no way any of those three guys can get a start ahead of J.P. France in the playoffs, right? Well, there's a way, and you pretty much alluded to it. But as a practical matter, no. Though J.P. France had been shelled in two of his three prior starts to Sunday against the Padres, and while it worked out all right, he was wild. His bugaboo in the minors, he walked five guys in six innings, the Padres, having packed it in, sat both Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr., so he was facing a you know skeleton squad lineup. Uh, but uh, Javier and Brown have been ongoing disasters for months now. Uh, I had a an exer. Is that how we refer to this now? Uh, inquire. You know, would it be so bizarre for the Astros to give a start to Spencer Aragetti, who's fared pretty well? Uh, at AAA, generally going no deeper than five innings, six here or there. But over five, I think it's five of his last six starts, he's only given up more than one earned run once. Javier's been so bad. And if he goes okay, then he gives up one monster inning. Hunter Brown's just been terrible. We're talking ERAs over five and six over double-digit starts, lengthy stretches of the schedule. So against the A's or the Royals this week, if you wanted to take a look and maybe you run into something with Aragetti, you know, hitters who see a, a pitcher for the first time, it's considered advantage pitcher. Uh, there is some history of September call-ups actually making a difference in October. A guy named Marty Bystrom with the Phillies went 5-0 in September in 1980. Uh, relievers like K-Rod with the Angels, Todd Worrell with the Cardinals anyway. But that's how bad Javier and Brown have been and Urquidy, You know, whether he's coming in in situations, I'm not starting the game. It's usually a blowout game. He's not focused. Well, he's pitching for his opportunity, so damn well should be focused. He's just been terrible. And where I want to stretch this out as you raise the subject, it's why winning the division, I mean, anything can happen, best out of three, best out of five, best out of seven. But in giving yourself the best chance, it's that much more imperative that the Astros lock down this division. Because if you get in as a wild card and you have to play that two out of three, well, you're pitching Fromber, and Verlander, and I would go in that order. I won't stretch out why there, but uh, they're going games one and two, meaning neither of them is available until at least game three of the division series, unless you're going to start someone on three days rest, which actually is why I would go for Amber in game one, so he could come back on short days rest if you're down in the uh, division series. 
you know, a lot of a lot of ground to cover before we get there. Uh, but you want to avoid that two out of three, so you're not using Fromber and Verlander. Even if you sweep the two, they're not available at the outset of the division series. No way in hell you're thinking, oh, we're in good shape with Hunter Brown or Jose Urquidy uh, or Christian Javier uh, really starting any game. Uh, but one of them would have to start a, a game four, uh, presumably anyway, unless the Astros are going to tempt the fates. The track record of starters on short rest in the postseason, not real good. But I think at this stage of their careers, Fromber would be the better option on three days rest than Verlander. Yeah, that that makes a ton of sense. My focus is going to be this next Hunter Brown start after Fromber and Verlander against the A's. We know how bad Javier's been, but look at this with Hunter Brown. In his last seven starts, a 7.20 ERA with 24 earned runs in his last 30 innings. 24 earned runs in his last 30 innings. I mean, holy crap. Like, that that's just a non-starter right there. Javier is with a 6.21 ERA in his last seven games. Still awful, but... It's better than what Hunter Brown's bringing to the table, and at least he's got a little more experience. But you don't feel good about either one of those guys. Arkady, six six four ERA in the last seven games. I mean, this is just not Astros baseball. That we're not used to this. But I like Charlie's advice there on how they should set up the rotation if they're lucky enough to win the division. But I mean, you pick your poison. I think I take Javier over Hunter Brown right now, unless we see something from Hunter in his next start here in a couple of days. Yeah, that's where you, whoever you go with is your starting pitcher. Your bullpen's warming up during the national anthem. Yes. Uh, and if you get deep starts from Verlander and Fromber, you can almost choose to turn one into a, a bullpen game uh, at the first sign of trouble. Uh, but at this point, how could it not be JP France as your number three option? With the offense doing what it's doing, that certainly relieves a little bit of pressure. But we're basically saying that unless you get prime Justin Verlander and prime Robert Valdez, this team's playoff hopes look a little sketchy. They're going to, I would feel like, inordinately rely on those two guys and the offense to kind of pick them up because you can't really count on anything in the back end of the rotation. They're just another quality contender at this point. This is not a great team because the starting pitching after the top two is just nowhere close to what we've seen through most of this dynastic run. Uh, the bullpen's still very good. I mean, Presley's not automatic, but is solid. Brian Abreu has been automatic for over a month now and given up a run in that stretch. Hector Neris is excellent. Uh, Montero back from the dead over the last six weeks. Uh, the loss of Stanek is a bummer, but you, know, you lose your number five or number six reliever. Right, Maton hasn't been real good for a while. Their bullpen still runs with anyone. The rotation, not so much, but step back. Right? We judge the Astros against the Astros standards, extraordinarily high standards. The Orioles are quite clearly the best team in the American League this year. Look at their rotation. Who are you saying would be their, oh, surefire game one starter, game two? Who has three or four starters that you're saying, that's money? Nobody. Right, The Rays, with all their injuries, and they still mix in opener games. Uh, the Minnesota Twins, in a short series, you know, they have multiple solid starters, but not three or four that are making you say, are we going to score four runs uh, against those guys? Uh, the Rangers, obviously, are a mess. Uh, the Mariners, I don't think of Castillo as a grade A number one. I say he's a number one, and they have good depth and young pitching, but none of them really postseason proven. So uh, the Astros is measured against the Astros over the last six years. Not as good, but still good enough to win the World Series, but much more capable of not getting back to the American League Championship Series. 
And that's one thing I want to focus on as we come down the stretch run is I want to see Yiner Diaz catching when it, when it's Javier, when it's Hunter Brown. You know, we had Dusty with those quotes the other day, like, oh, Yiner and Hunter, they, they just can't seem to get through the fifth inning. We're going to get Maldi in there. You know, Maldi's the one that could straighten him out if he can get straightened out. I don't buy that. I think you need more offense. And the other reason, it's not calling the game that's getting these guys lit up. It's that they can't hit their spots, and they're wild. They're wild in the strike zone. They're wild walking people. Some of the stuff isn't quite what it was. That's not just, oh, we should have called a curveball there, not a fastball. And that's what I've been looking at with Javier all year. I've been upset that he's been up in the zone and so predictable. He doesn't know where his fastball is going. And when that's the case, you're just hoping you get it over the plate. A catcher helping you call a better game is it's not really going to do anything if you can't accomplish and execute your game plan. I mean, in the Padre series, if Maldi hadn't been catching, how badly would Hunter Brown have sucked Friday night? How big an inning would Javier have given up Saturday night if Maldi wasn't there to settle things down and impart his genius? Hunter Brown was brilliant in April, right? The way he flashed last year and then in April in the video match, he's a Verlander doppelganger. Well, uh, Yonder Diaz was Hunter Brown's catcher in April. And then Dusty in May, well, I need to acclimate Maldonado because what if the younger guy who's not overweight and is better, what if he gets hurt? I have to have Maldi uh, associated with catching Hunter Brown. I'm not saying it's direct cause and effect, but from May on, Hunter Brown overall has been an incompetent starting pitcher with Maldonado as his primary catcher over those four months. So, hey, Dusty's in the saddle of a team that's gone back to the postseason, almost certainly, and could wind up winning back-to-back World Series, it doesn't mean that tactically he's distinguishing himself. On the bullpen, you, you brought it up, Graveman couldn't make it out of his last appearance. Hector Neris inherits bases loaded one out, gets out of it. Earlier this year, we saw Neris inherit bases loaded no outs, got out of it. Hector Neris has been a perennial leverage guy for Dusty Baker in this bullpen. His contract's up after this year. This is a contract year for him. The Astros spent a lot of money to sign, well, I mean, relatively a lot of money for the output on Rafael Montero. Do you think they should be ponying up a similar amount to be able to keep a guy as important as Hector Neris in this bullpen? Neris is 34. I'd be leery about going three years, right? Montero younger, but with a lesser overall track record than Hector Neris. Uh, You never know when a guy will hit the wall. Neris has also been wonderfully durable over the course of his career at Phillies and uh, as answered the bell whenever uh, asked his time with the Astros. Um, you know, if it's three years, 30 million or so, the way the Astros are making money hand over fist, maybe as high as number three in revenues in all Major League Baseball, um, I don't think I'm going to scrimp on on bringing back Naris. Yeah, I I will say that you do have some money committed to people. You got Montero on the books for about 11 million bucks next year. Kendall Graveman is going to be $8 million, which is actually kind of a bargain. So we'll see what they're willing to go there, how much they want to invest in their bullpen. But yeah, Neris has been fantastic. But we talk about this all the time with relief pitchers. It can be kind of an every other year thing. We're seeing that with Montero this year. So I would like to see Neris back, but that is a lot of money to commit to your bullpen. Luckily with the Brayu you're not having to pay him a whole lot right now. Yeah, can probably try to trade Graveman if you choose only one year left at the $8 million. Uh, if there's a market for Mil- Phil Maton over $5 million per year, the Astros probably uh, let him go as well and and sign cheaper or uh, Seth Martinez or someone else within the system can be that last guy uh, out of the pen. Uh, again, uh, you know, if when you're talking about your bullpen, you're fretting about the number five or number six arm in it, you're in pretty good shape. 
Guys, let's move on to our last topic. The end of last week was a very interesting one in the Astros news cycle, probably one that looks really strange from the outside looking in. Chandler Rome wrote a piece about Chas McCormick's playing time and Dusty's hesitancy to make him the full-time center fielder. His weight, Dusty refuted it and said that he brings Chaz uh, banana pudding from his favorite spot. If I thought Chaz was too fat, would I do that? I don't know, maybe slipping him some Ozempic in the banana pudding. I'm not real sure how that works. What do we think of this story? This is odd. Banana is very high in potassium. Maybe Dusty's sharper than we think. Uh, I just think it's sort of a, a silly story if there's meat on the bone, maybe not the right metaphor for what we're talking about here. Um, okay. Uh, McCormick runs pretty well for a roly poly. I mean, if it's true, so uh, Chaz being a little heavy for the skipper's taste, if true, but producing at an 880 OPS and having a fabulous season, his weight's a problem, but the obviously actually overweight catcher who's a miserable Overall performer this year, war, defensive numbers, offensive numbers, that's okay. In fact, you manage him as if he's your personal hero. Um, be an odd juxtaposition. I'm going to treat it as much ado about nothing relative to the 2023 Astros, uh, whether it factors into organizational philosophy and shift. Uh, I just think at its core, it goes to that Dusty strategically has never graded highly. Uh, 25 years of, of track record. What he is is a tremendous handler of people. Guys love playing for him, want to play for him. And over 160 games, that's damn important. And, and at the, the center of the success that Dusty's had as a managerial career. But if it comes down to chess, you're probably not yelling checkmate. It's strange to me because I don't think it's the, the weight that's why Dusty doesn't like to play him in center field very much anymore. I think it's his throwing arm. So I just, you know, that seems to be why he values Dubon. He's got a better arm and he can cover well in center too, but Chaz isn't slow. So I think it's the arm. It was that Yankees game when they were taking extra bases on Chaz. I think he felt like he was a little bit of a liability there. So the weight thing just never made a lot of sense to me. But I do find it interesting that if you're getting quotes from the Astros organization behind the scenes and these guys are willing to talk to Chandler, you know, they're not putting their names on it, but you know, you would think that that's probably something frowned upon in the organization going and talking about this stuff to reporters. So the fact that that's happening makes me think that there's something else going on. I don't know if Dana Brown has something to do with this or if it may be another player or somebody in the front office, but somebody's not happy the way Dusty is managing this team, despite them being in a really good spot to make another run. And in terms of, you know, banana pudding being at the, the center of it, uh, for some people, not just in sports organizations, but there's a, a sense of power that, ooh, I have morsels of data that I can, I can be uh, deep throat on this. I can leak the information. What gossip do you want to hear? Uh, I know this about that person, or you didn't get it from me, but uh, so, you know, there, there are different, different layers to this, but in the end, a butterscotch pudding and a good rice pudding, both Trump banana pudding. Well, 
someone's lying, right? I mean, because if, if Dusty is vocal about Chaz's weight behind the scenes, but he's refuting it to the media, then he's being dishonest there. If these sources that Chandler's getting his information from are just making this up, then then they're lying and using Rome to create some sort of agenda or hit piece against It's Dusty. all Joe Espada. <laughs> and, and the timing of it's weird too, right? Because you just destroy the Rangers. You basically, you kind of knock them out of the playoff picture and you take control of the division. Someone is being dishonest. What's the agenda here? And the timing of it seems questionable. Well, if there are some within the organization of their own volition or doing the bidding of others, wanting to plant some seeds as to why we're going to need to or want to make a managerial change. Well, here's the breadcrumb trail you can follow, I suppose. Yeah, and we've seen this before with, you know, the, the Miles Straw trade. You know, that might have been somebody talking to Click going like, you might have to trade Miles Straw to get Dusty to play jazz every day. And that person could still be in the organization. And yeah, if they don't if they don't want Dusty back next year, then this would be a good a good good way to go about it. And Ken Hoffman wrote an article. He quoted a something from the show Billions that, you know, owners don't fire managers, towns and cities fire managers. And if you have that many people up in arms about the job Dusty is doing, Jim Crane might just decide to go a different way next year. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Another episode of Stone Cold Strows in the books. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. And hey, go subscribe to our new YouTube channel and podcast, Texans on Tap. Remember, ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 FM, they have you covered on the radio dial in Houston. Thanks to Jack Brame for producing the show. And thanks to everyone for listening. And until next time, go Strohs.